Judges chapter 17. We won't read the entire chapter. Beginning in verse 1. Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, The 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. Then his mother said, The Lord bless you, my son. When he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a cast idol. I will give it back to you. So he returned the silver to his mother and she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who made them into the image and the idol. And they were put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and some idols and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days... Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Let's jump to chapter 18. In those days, Israel had no king. That's it for chapter 18. Let's go to chapter 19. In those days, Israel had no king. That's it for that chapter. Let's go to chapter 21. To verse 20. So they instructed the Benjamites saying, Go and hide in the vineyards and watch. When the girls of Shiloh come out to join in the dancing... Then rush from the vineyards, and each of you seize a wife from the girls of Shiloh, and go to the land of Benjamin. When their fathers or brothers complain to us, we will say to them, Do us a kindness by helping them, because we did not get wives for them during the war, and you are innocent, since you did not give your daughters to them. So that is what the Benjamites did. While the girls were dancing, each man caught one and carried her off to be his wife. Then they returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and settled in them. At that time, the Israelites left that place and went home to their tribes and clans, each to his own Inheritance. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. This is the Word of God. Well, Happy New Year.
It's 2017. It seems just like yesterday when we were all wringing our hands. There were some children here too young to remember over what was going to happen to the world and with all of its computers when it turned the year 2000. Here it is 17 years later. I'm amazed at how quickly it has gone by. And I've learned, as others have told me, as you get older, uh, the years just fly past more and more quickly, right? (laughs) Thank you for that affirmation. Well, one of the things that happens at New Year's is that people make resolutions, right? Maybe about exercise or their diet or maybe there's some financial struggle they're seeking to get a hold of. Or maybe there's something going on in their lives spiritually. Those resolutions are not wrong. If any of you are familiar with the great American Reformed theologian Jonathan Edwards who lived in the 18th century, you will know that as a young man, he developed a list of resolutions that are quite famous, including such things as resolved never to lose a moment of time and resolved to live every day like it was my last. And resolutions are fine. Maybe you made one for the start of 2017. But you know, if you've ever made them, where they go astray. Very quickly after a short amount of time, maybe it's about exercise, the fervor to continue going to the gym and working out sort of dies down and we get off the path and start to go another direction. Or maybe it is something a lot more serious. Like somebody has a problem with anger and they're resolved to deal with it. We quickly go astray. And we quickly, even when we've made such resolutions prayerfully according to the Scriptures, start to go our own way and to do our own thing. And that is exactly what is happening in the book of Judges. You have a people, not just an individual, who were at one time resolved to serve the Lord who went astray. And we hear this summary. I read it the two times it occurs. Along with the statement, in those days Israel had no king. And we're going to talk about that. But that summary of the book of Judges, that spirit of the time of the Judges, 
Maybe you have a translation that reads like this. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The NIV, as I read it, everyone did as he saw fit. That tendency existed then. That tendency continues to plague our lives. And so as we enter into this new year, I bring this challenge to all of us. Because putting in a modern day language, we, we could say something like this, synonymous or meaning basically the same thing to this idea that everyone did what was right in his own eyes is this. Everyone did his own thing. I want to give this challenge this morning that we need to beware of the tendency and turn away from that tendency to do our own thing. Whether you're a Christian or not, that challenge remains the same. That is what was going on in the book of Judges. You know, as you have, if you've read this book, that it follows the book of Joshua, where at the end of that story, the people, along with Joshua, who stood and said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Maybe you have that plaque hanging in your house. And the people said, Yes, we will serve the Lord. We will. And they did. For a time. And that's where we get into the book of Judges. And we see that a new generation comes along and they start to turn away from that resolve and to do their own thing. And they sin. And we see this cycle that goes on as they're now in the promised land and they still have peoples to conquer that they turn away from the Lord and He turns away from them, right? And things aren't as easy as they once were. And He uses the people that they were supposed to conquer against them in their sin. And so sin comes, and then the judgment of God, and then the people realize, we really messed up. And they cry out to God, who's judging them. They cry out for deliverance. And God hears their prayers. And we see these deliverers, we call them judges. Obviously not judges in the modern sense, order in the court, but deliverers who God raises up to lead the people and deliver them from this terrible dilemma that they're in and bring them peace. And it happens. And then in that time of, the, of peace, when the crisis has disappeared, the people start to do their own thing again. And they turn away from the Lord. And He deals with them again. And they cry out again in a new deliverer. And this cycle is going on. You know it, don't you? You know what it's like if you've been a Christian for any length of time, to be in a crisis of your own doing, 
because of your sin. And you cry out to the Lord and you beg for His mercy to get you out of this mess. And He does. And then when everything calms down, you quickly forget about that. Supposed devotion you had to the Lord. It happens. And so we encounter these judges. Starts out with Othniel, the younger brother of Caleb. And Ehud, that left-handed guy who took a dagger to the king of Moab's guts. Eglon. And then Shamgar, who killed 600 Philistines with a stick. And then we encounter some other judges. And it seems like the less that's said about one of the judges, one of these deliverers, the better. Right? Because the more we find out, these guys are less than perfect. And yet, we find four of them in the Faith Hall of Fame of Hebrews 11. Barak, Gideon, Jephthah, Samson. Men being elevated as fathers of our faith. Barak, who was the timid commander under Deborah, who was leading the people when it appears he was supposed to be leading the people. And he was afraid to even go into battle when Deborah told him about it. And she challenged him on it. She called him to task. He's there in Hebrews 11. And then there's Gideon. Yes, he defeated the Midianites from starting with an army of 32,000 that gets whittled down to 300. But what of Gideon when he lays out his fleece? Let the ground be dry, the fleece be wet. Let the ground be wet and the fleece be dry. He was testing God. It was a lack of faith. God had clearly promised to give him victory. And his faith was lacking. Jephthah. Great victory against the Ammonites who makes a foolish vow. Rather than just Serving the Lord. He makes this vow. If you give the Ammonites into my hand, the first thing that walks out of my door, I will sacrifice to you. Comes back from battle. His daughter walks out. He offered her as a burnt sacrifice. Commentators try to release him from that act, that horrible act. But such misses the point of what's going on in the book of Judges. You have individuals who are struggling with doing as they think it's right, even though they're trying to do the right thing. And then the epitome of that spirit, Samson. Born in Azurite. Supposed to take vows. Not to drink any alcoholic beverages, not to eat anything or touch anything unclean, and to never cut his hair. 
by the time we get done with Samson, he's broken all three of them. Has a penchant for women, not from Israel, but from Philistia. And his parents challenge him about it. You know, isn't there somebody from our people that's more suitable? He says of that woman in Timnah, get her for me. She looks good. She was right in the eyes of Samson. And he's with prostitutes and he's beguiled by Delilah. And yet he's in Hebrews 11. Yes, he had that great victory destroying the Philistines. Killed many of them in God's providence. And yet, at times his life was a shambles. He struggled with doing what was right in his own eyes. Samson did. How do we explain then how these guys could be lifted up as fathers of the faith? By understanding what it means to hear In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit or what was right in his own eyes. Or everyone did their own thing. And what that is to point us to, that's how we can understand what's going on. If you were to take the the two statements of everyone did as he saw fit in chapter 17 and chapter 21 that I read to you, they're sort of like bookends holding up the books in between. And then you have a story that unfolds. And what a shocking story. You have this guy named Micah. He steals 28 pounds of silver from his mother. And then he says, I took it. And she says, the Lord bless you, son. And let's celebrate by making an idol. And they make a shrine in their house. And he makes this, you know, this is idol worship. And they have this silver statue in front of the other other things that they're using for their worship. And he puts his son as a priest. And then he has a Levite come as a priest. And we read of this worship as this is set up. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And Micah's from Ephraim. The Danites come. Fellow tribe. 600 of them. They come and they steal his... his, uh, idols, and they take his priest who's happy to go with them, by the way, and they take off and set up their own worship. This is the story that's unfolding. And next, we encounter another Levite who has an unfaithful concubine. And he stays overnight in a town belonging to the Benjamites and He's staying in the house of a man and some homosexuals come and say, let that man come out on us so that we can have sex with him. No, can't do that. I'll send out, the man says, my daughter and the man's concubine instead and you can have your way with them. No, send out the man and they try to push the door in and they push the concubine out and slam the door shut and they abuse her all night long and leave her for dead on the man's doorstep. 
are all Israelites. The Levite cuts her to pieces and sends all the pieces to the tribes of Israel and says, Benjamin is going to pay for this. And a war occurs and they wipe out the men of the tribe of Benjamin who've gone out to fight. And now of the men who are left, some 600 of them, they need to have them wise. They've slaughtered this people. So they get it by going to war with other Israelites and then they get it by stealing women from Shiloh from this wedding feast. And then we hear the conclusion. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. What a horrible story. This story unfolding us you know, from Micah to the Levite and what happens, it just, it, it ought to leave us shaking our heads. This is the people of God. But we struggle with that spirit. church is plagued by problems because people do what is right in their own eyes. They depart from the truth of God's Word. And here's the key to this statement. Yes, indeed it was the case. In those days, Israel did not have a king. And they wanted one, right? They wanted to be like the other nations. God gives them these deliverers. But they wanted a king to lead them. And if you were to read this superficially, you might be led to believe that the reason everything was such a mess is that they needed somebody over them in power, a king. Well, they wanted one. But you know, as you come to 1 Samuel, that is not the problem. Samuel, technically the last judge as a sort of a a prototype of the ministry of Christ as a prophet, priest, and king. Samuel was technically the last judge of the people of Israel. And he's upset with them because they're clamoring, we want a king! We want a king! And he's upset and God stops him and says, Samuel, 1 Samuel 8, let them have their king. And he makes a very, very important statement. And it is essential to understanding the book of Judges. God says to Samuel, It is not you they have rejected as their king. It is me they have rejected as their king. And so when we read in the book of Judges, in those days Israel had no king, it isn't just that they had no earthly king. God was not their king. And He wanted to be their king. And they rejected Him. And as a result of turning away from the Lord, who brought them into this land and loved them just because He chose to love them and brought them into this land and started to drive out their enemies, 
going before them as we read in the book of Deuteronomy, like a hornet driving the people out. They turn against Him. And they do what is right in their own eyes. And so we have this cycle that goes on and these deliverers are raised up. And as we we mentioned, they're less than perfect. And we're pointed to the fact not just that God was not their king, but that they needed a perfect king. They needed a better deliverer. And that is pointing us to Jesus Christ, the perfect deliverer, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. How can Barak and Jephthah and Gideon and Samson be listed in Hebrews 11 as models for their faith? Because of Christ. Because He was the perfect Deliverer. Because He was the One who brought salvation. Here is the hope for them. For us. For this tendency that we would do what is right in our own eyes. You may have seen the title for the sermon, The Eyes Have It. Well, you may have heard that at a, at a meeting at some time where a vote is taken. You know, maybe we are having a vote here in the congregation and we're uh, voting on whether to set aside $5,000 for a missions trip maybe to the Honduras. And some of the people are going to go on. And... We might say in that vote, uh, all those in favor of setting aside this $5,000 say I. And we know that's spelled A-Y-E. And everybody says I. All those opposed say no. And, well, it ends up being a unanimous vote. And the moderator of the meeting says, the eyes have it. Well, you'll notice in my title I didn't spell I-A-Y-E. We don't use that word anymore. They still do in, in uh, Great Britain. Are you going to church today, brother? I. Well, we don't use that word typically. And so I have the eyes have it. The eyes have it. This is the struggle of doing what is right in our own eyes. And one that can be resolved only through Jesus Christ. But we've got to beware of this tendency that exists. This is how the world operates. This is postmodern society. Every truth is relative. Who dictates what's right and who isn't? Me. And that type of an attitude has affected the church greatly. But it's not anything new. Postmodernism is not anything new in that respect. It's just the spirit of judges. People doing what is right in their own eyes. And we struggle with it. 
And our hearts deceive us. Our hearts deceive us in the church of Jesus Christ at times. When we think we're doing the right thing and we've left the simple truth of God's Word and we, we're trying to do the right thing, we're trying to make the right decision, but we end up being the one deciding what is right. And we quickly depart from the truth of God's Word. We're sincere. We mean well. But whether it comes to the choices we make as individuals or how we conduct our families or what goes on in the church, we can quickly see that departing from the truth of God's Word in the individual manner we can be governed by the self-focus indulgent life and in our families we can be uh, more directed by the current psychological uh, mumbo-jumbo that directs people. Not to say that all of it is wrong. And in the church we can be become a seeker-sensitive, business-oriented entity. Meaning well but doing what is right in our own eyes. And here is the solution. To look to the One who always did what was right in God's eyes. You remember as you go through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles, we have all these kings paraded before us. And what do we hear of them? Whether they were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord or good. And Jesus was that perfect King who always did what was good in the eyes of the Lord. He is the one to whom we must look. And He, as the one who delivers us, is the one to whom we must look for our pattern. To now seek to live lives. Here's the solution, practically speaking, for doing what is right in our own eyes. To seek to live lives in 2017 and beyond. Lives that seek to do what is right in the eyes of God. Not in our own eyes. R.C. Sproul tells a story when he was a child, when he was in trouble with his mother. She would say to him, glaring at him, What's the big idea, young man? Yeah, maybe some of you have heard that growing up. What's the big idea? Basically, she was saying, You know, what are you doing? You better start explaining yourself. And he went on to talk about how a friend of his had come and asked, What's the big idea of the Christian life. Now, without taking away from salvation through Jesus Christ alone, he's talking about living the Christian life. And R.C. Sproul went on to say to this man, the big idea of the Christian life, and I leave you with this now for 2017, is to live quorum Deo. And if It's a Latin phrase that simply means in the face of God. Before the eyes of God. 
to remember. Not just as a deterrent to sin. As we sang this morning in that hymn, we have not known thee as we ought. To remember Proverbs 5.21, the ways of a man before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his goings. To remember, he's always watching. He's always there. With you, wherever you are and no one else is, all by yourself on the internet or wherever it is, he's watching. And that's a deterrent to sin. But it isn't just that. It's remembering. As Jesus promises His disciples, I am with you always. That we are before His presence. And the next stanza in that hymn speaks about that. Knowing the loving presence of God. He is with us all the time. And the more we live in the presence of God in this life, the better equipped we are to avoid doing our own thing and doing what is right in our eyes. May the Lord in His grace grant this to us. Let's pray.